0: Welcome to EdTech Speaks, a podcast bringing guests together to share their expertise and advice on navigating business and education in a technology-driven world. From entrepreneurs to vendors, higher education to corporate leaders, we'll uncover their perspective regarding the latest trends and technologies impacting your career or business. Our podcast is made possible by Downing EdTech Consulting, where people and technology connect. Hosted by Cher Downing, an experienced executive spanning a higher education and corporate career with specific focus on the edtech industry, Dr. Downing is also an international and national presenter, author, and regular media contributor. Now here is your host, edtech strategist, Dr. Cher Downing. Hi, everyone. Welcome to EdTech Speaks,
1: a podcast where we bring guests to share their expertise and advice on navigating business and education in a technology-driven world. Our goal is to provide you with options for products, services, and knowledge that can help benefit you or your business. I'm Cher Downing, your host, and I want to introduce today's guest, Dr. Lauren M. Hill. Hi, Lauren.
2: I'm great, Dr. Downing. Thank you so much for having me today.
1: Well, I'm very excited to bring you in here because I know that you're going to talk to us today about academic career coaching, but what I really love is when you talk about the fact that you're a licensed clinical psychologist specializing in neurodevelopmental assessment and testing, which is a mouthful for anyone to say. I think the conversation we're going to have today is about the great things that you're doing in that area the fact that you're utilizing technology and bringing in some really interesting ways of working through these situations and preparations. And then also, we're going to talk a little bit about the impact that COVID's had and how people are doing throughout this process. Let's hear a little bit about you and your background Yes. Thank
2: you for that great introduction. And yes, it is a mouthful.
1: So do a couple
2: different things. And uh, specifically with regards to my clinical psychology practice, we focus there on neurodevelopmental assessments. And that is uh, things that we would find from Literally birth to around age nine or 10, then sometimes a little older. That could be related to speech and language delay, autism, intellectual disabilities, so on and so forth. These are typically things that we see that are organic and not due to some type of injury or head injury or a fall or a crash or a stroke or something along those lines. So that's when we're supposed to specialize in the clinical practice. And while that gives me a lot of joy and satisfaction to be able to work with families to help them determine various diagnoses, where you and I have connected is really around the space that intersects between education and technology. And so, I in my career have been in academia for well over 25 years in various capacities. I started my academic career, I would say a little unbeknownst to me, by being a TA. It was the beginning of my academic career because a coach, a mentor, professor sort of tapped me and said, I think you'd be great as a TA. And I said to her, well, I've got a lot going on. I don't really know that that's something that I'd be interested in doing right now. And she totally encouraged me to do it. And I found that I really enjoyed it. From there, after I graduated and some time later, she became a president of a university and reached out to me and said. there would you be interested in teaching in an adjunct capacity and i thought well i got a lot going on i don't really know if i want to do that so it was sort of the same answer as before and she really encouraged me to consider it because she knew how i enjoyed engaging in the classroom and so with some encouragement and some support from her i became an adjunct faculty member did that for a number of years at a few different institutions and went on and pursued my mental health degree and career. And again, simultaneously teaching adjunct in different areas. And then ultimately, through a what I would call a crooked path, not a direct path to academia, I became a core faculty member at an academic institution. Then I went through a number of things during my tenure where I promoted in rank. I ultimately became a department chair, left that institution, became a program chair, left that institution, joined another institution to help them launch their continuing education programs. I've had this parallel academic and mental health life, right? On the one hand, I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, but then on the other hand, I'm this academician who went a little kicking and screaming into that area, but once there, really enjoyed it. From there, I was uh, thinking back over my time in academia and the different positions that I held and how some of them were fairly easy for me to acquire and others required quite a bit of work on my end. And I couldn't find anybody to help me. So stumbling around trying to find out how to promote, how to move from one institution to another, how to possibly move within departments in an institution, how to work with faculty, staff, students, all of these interpersonal dynamics as well as career dynamics. Some of them seem to be quite difficult. And in talking with some of my colleagues, they encouraged me to Began a business with academic career coaching, really being a supportive strategist and a resource to folks who were either trying to obtain a position in academia, be it adjunct faculty, full faculty, staff, et cetera, or people who were trying to find their way out of academia. So they had built a career, but then they thought there's a little bit something else out there for me. I think this has run its course. And so how do I now transition out? So moving in or transitioning out. And I began that business and people started reaching out to me on LinkedIn or whether word of mouth saying, you know, nobody is doing this. You're the only person who I've ever known of who formally does this. And I said, yes, I do know that. That's why I started this. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit about me and a bit about the services that we provide at the clinic.
1: Really exciting on the sense that you've managed to really merge two pathways into one. Looking at clinical psychology and mental health capacity, that affects everyone, all human beings. We all have situations that are pressing for us and are difficult for us and are challenging. And then taking that broad level of experience and narrowing it down into the academic arena, which in itself is very much an industry. And we don't often acknowledge it as such because it's educational, but it truly is an industry. And there is a navigational process that has to occur in order for someone to move through not just horizontally, but also vertically if they're wanting to build a career in it. And then there's the third case, which are people who are transitioning out either due to layoffs or early retirements or just wanting a change. Maybe they've reached the capacity of what they can do in the academic setting, but there's a finesse in a way to go about doing these things. And I think that's something that you bring to the table, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you today was because of the the coaching that you do, but also the way that you do it and how you incorporate technology in with it. So tell us a little bit about how you go about that. Well, technology is an interesting animal,
2: if you will. And I love it. I happen to be a naturist myself or a naturalist. And so I love different environments and systems. And the way in which technology has really taken a part of all of our lives is very fascinating to me. You and I were talking previously about, think back 20 years ago in, in the field of education, and there was some thought about technology in the sense of distributed learning or distance learning. Everybody had computers, like we're far beyond that, but how, in fact, you could integrate technology in the classroom for delivery. What were the pedagogies around that? What were the learning management systems? And some folks really did not embrace it. You and I, on the other hand, were like, sign me up now. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So with that in mind, for me, it's been very seamless to be on faculty that had hybrid courses or institute hybrid courses or train individuals on hybrid courses, because sometimes it's a little difficult to move from, as you are aware and some of your colleagues that you worked with, and you talked about this before, some people are a little hesitant to move from the face-to-face in-person because they think they might lose something, right? And not knowing that they may gain something. With that, I have always felt comfortable doing things like we're doing now, we're not in the same room, actually, but virtually we are in the same room. And so helping people feel comfortable with that and how they can integrate that technology has been really something that I champion. And folks that I work with, uh, I have people who are like, no, Lauren, I really only want to do in-classroom Teaching, And I'm like, uh-huh, what does that mean? What does in-classroom teaching mean? Do you mean face-to-face? Do you mean via technology? Now with COVID, as we were talking about, everybody's been forced into this. Right. So who embraced hybrid courses or online learning, earlier on had a little bit of an advantage and not only are hybrid and exclusively online course deliveries occurring in the higher ed they're also k through 12. now everybody has been introduced to this and i wonder what it's going to look like trying to go back to the previous format when now everybody's used to these type of deliveries. In my coaching, I really try to work with folks and meet them where they are. Some people are really comfortable with it. Sure, let's meet online. My coaching business, ironically, is exclusively virtual. On the other hand, my mental health business is a bit of a hybrid now. There's only so much that you can do distance. And when we talk about cognitive assessments, many of those and intellectual assessments we have to do face-to-face. So it's it's that has shifted to a, more of a hybrid model. But with the academic career coaching and strategy, it's all virtual. And I'm really happy to say that I've set my business up like that in the early stages because I wanted to be available to people really across the nation.
1: No, that makes absolute sense. And I think it's so pivotal right now because we're seeing such upheaval at Colleges and universities across the nation with layoffs, uh, furloughs. Unfortunately, some folks are being let go just because of funding and all of the issues that come along with budgetary requirements. But we're also seeing people who are taking a breath. This has caused us to pause and reflect. And so once everyone got over the shock of being stuck at home, people started to embrace the fact of what. Do I want to do with my life, and what do I want to do differently, and how do I want to take advantage of time and, and how I spend my efforts? Have you seen more people that are looking at that kind of what I call phase two, taking a breath and saying, I'm going to go do something else?
2: Absolutely. And ironically, it's happening in both directions. So I'm getting folks who are reaching out to me saying, I was already at the point or the age where I was thinking about what am I going to do next within academia? I'm a full professor or I'm a chair and I've, I liked being an administrator, but now not so much. Maybe I want to go back into the classroom or maybe I want to exit academia altogether. We're strategizing about how to, use your term. Pivot from that and take the skill sets that you've learned, you've utilized, and how you can be viable to another market, or maybe you want to create your own business. I mean, now is a great time for entrepreneurial efforts. If we can sit down and. Think it through like, okay, what what do you really want to do? What have you done? Is there a need for this? How can we map that out? So we work on those things. I have one client that I'm working with now who actually taught abroad and was now stuck. We're thinking about being stuck at home. Well, she's stuck at home because she can't travel internationally. And we just secured her um, adjunct faculty position at an institution. And she had never even thought about uh, teaching in higher ed. And we were able to, in six weeks, get her a secured position, interview, going to be starting, et cetera. People are, for one reason or another, being forced re examine in their situation. Some people are fine. They don't, they're not going to be laid off. But other folks really are, it's a sense of urgency. Well, those are two examples of um, clients that I'm currently working with.
1: Those are wonderful examples. Thank you for sharing those. For our listeners, you know, that's something to be thinking about is as you're planning, where you're going next or what you think you're going to be doing next, it's still a good idea to have a strategy for doing it and to think through all the possibilities of it. I think oftentimes when we lose a role, we determine just to take the next role. Either it's an exact replica of what we're leaving or we attempt to move up. Maybe we're ready for it. Maybe we're not. Or other times we just walk away all together and go do something entirely different, but we don't really plan for it. We just go, which often doesn't have a high success rate. So this is definitely something for our listeners, and I tell our ed tech folks all the time, uh, and particularly in startups as well, is you have to invest in yourself. You have to plan you have to strategize, and this is a wonderful way to do it. If someone were coming to you to get started, what are the kinds of things they need to have in hand? Or what should they be thinking of to be prepared to talk with someone and say, okay, I need help kind of figuring out what's next for me?
2: So I would say the first step is just reaching out to me. You don't have to have anything in hand. All you have to do is have the question what, you know, here's where I am. What do you think about this, Lauren? And we can go from there. I have had people who have literally heard me give a presentation, make an appointment for the next week and say, I wasn't even thinking about any of this until I heard your talk. And so what do I need to do? And so then I take over and do an assessment because everyone is at a different place. Now you may be the person who has been contemplating for several months now, or maybe a couple of years that I gotta make a move. I know I gotta make a move. So that person looks very different than someone who might just be listening in today and have like a moment where they're like, "Oh, gee, I need to assess this." So I would say whatever wherever you are, if you have something in hand or you don't have something in hand, the first step would be to reach out for a consultation.
1: And I think that's fabulous because so often, particularly in academia, we are are judged by the size of our CV. Our curriculum vitae goes with us everywhere. And the longer, the better. The more bullet points, the more points you get in life. And it really doesn't paint a good picture of us. It gives an overview of us and it gives us, obviously, it's almost like a project completed list. Here's all the projects I've done in my life. But it doesn't really say much about who we are or what we're doing. And it certainly doesn't say where we're going necessarily necessarily. Unless we're after a particular academic role where it aligns, but I love the fact that your idea is let's just look at what you want to do and and where what you're thinking about, and then let's talk about how we get you there. I think that is just that's a, a fabulous approach. When you assess people, is there testing involved? Is there? Just interviewing, because I know listeners are probably thinking, yeah, but she's also a clinical psychologist. So I don't want to be like looking at ink blots and doing all these kinds of things. Talk to us a little bit about when you say you're going to assess someone. Kind of what are you thinking of there?
2: I'm so glad you pointed that out because people always default to that. Whoa, well, wait, she's a psychologist. Is she analyzing me? No, I'm not, because that's not what we're doing when we're coaching It's two separate buckets. So if you're making an appointment to see me clinically, that is something we're going down a whole different path. But for coaching, the assessment is really just that. Let's take stock of where you are. The type of coaching that I do, even though it is academic career coaching, I don't really do the formal career assessment. Assessments, if you will, because I mean we already know that you're looking at academia, either entering in or exiting out of. So I don't even do those types of assessment. This is uh, my uh, programs and the way I work are very much strategy. Right? How do we get you a job in academia if that is your goal? How do we support you in terms of exploring your entrepreneurial efforts, if that is your goal, how do we get you a rank promotion, how do we pivot you from faculty to administrative, these are very specific things that don't require the types of assessments that we would otherwise do if we were doing a career assessment where you kind of just didn't know what kind of job you wanted and we were looking for a discipline. My assessment is really based on my experience in academia, having been a department chair, having been on a promotion committee, having been on the committees that assign for reviews when they have candidates for positions and search committees and these types of things. So that's my own internal assessment process.
1: Well, I wanted to make sure that everyone understood that because as a society, we're fearful of assessments. We're always being assessed for something and we're always fearful of them. And I can't decide if part of that is when we were younger and you needed to pass, you needed to get a good grade, you needed to be at the top of the scale. But I think oftentimes people won't go to coaching or they won't go somewhere because they don't want to have that level of scientific assessment. What they really want is more what you're exactly talking about, which is just talking through the process. I think most people have a mentor or somebody that they talk with, and it's that type of relationship of being able to just freely say, well, what about this? And does this sound like a dumb idea? And having someone confirm No, it's not a dumb idea, but have you thought about the potential pitfalls of doing this or the potential issues that could occur? So I think definitely having that discussion-based versus clinical-based is is so important. That kind of (laughs) leads me into looking at the trends that are going on in higher ed right now. And obviously, we're going to see the trends change now post-COVID or whatever I don't know that we'll ever be post-COVID, but whatever beyond our initial COVID situation is, what are you seeing out there and and where do you think we're going with it in terms of what career availability there is and what opportunities there are in exiting?
2: What I'm seeing in working with some of my current clients doing actual job searches with them because we spend some time doing that we're looking online to see who's hiring what positions are open and i can tell you that the adjunct positions are remaining open part of that is due to what you and i sort of uncomfortably talked about earlier is some of the layoffs and the downsizing from a budgetary position, if I were department chair or if I were someone looking over, can I really support a full-time faculty member now, or would my budget be better served with having several adjuncts? Well, the answer is clear. Let's get the adjuncts in here because if the salary is different and then there's benefits, et cetera. There are adjunct faculty positions Lots of them. Lots of them. And I would say that there are some full-time faculty positions and some part-time faculty positions. I don't want people to feel totally discouraged about looking at positions within academia because they they do exist and they're not like unicorns <laughs> right we can certainly find them I was just doing a job search earlier this week and I was actually a little kind of surprised about how many positions we're posting and so the other thing is so that's for people who are wanting to go into academia I want to also put a little Plug in for folks who are freshly graduating, uh, whether you're graduating with your master's or your doctorate, and you are looking for a position that might supplement your income, um, you wanna do something that's not fully taking up your time, make an appointment for a consultation with me. I'd love to help you break into academia and get an adjunct position. Now, for those who are looking to exit, we definitely want to be very strategic about how you leave. Do you want to just pare down? Do you want to go from a full time position to an adjunct position and remain attached to your institution? And all the folks that I coach who exit academia, I have a very detailed conversation with them about the benefits of staying somewhat attached to an institution, whether it's the same one or a different one. There's a lot of value around being able to interface with people in the community that you spent so much time with, right? Sure. So I don't want to just lose that completely. And even if there are some interpersonal dynamics or some people would say some politics around why people are leaving, I want to still have a very frank and conversa- candid conversation with you about how to remain attached to the, the community and the discipline and the industry that you have invested in.
1: That is a, a really important piece of it is keeping that connectivity even through organizations and making sure that you're keeping memberships and really still connecting because oftentimes that's also where you do find other roles that are available as well through word of mouth. Someone will talk to you a little bit about it. Personally, I always have recommended for years that adjunct is a good way to test the waters. It's good for you to, if you're thinking about getting into higher ed, it also allows you to decide if that's what you want to do long-term. Do you want to teach Or do you want to do something different in higher ed? But I think also points out your skill set and where you are valid and where you may be needing a little more either credential or experience. Students are quick to point out how you do things and if you do things well, but it's a learning experience and it's a growing experience. And so early in your career, it's very valuable. Have you been reading my blogs? (laughs) (laughs) It it is so true, though. I think for all of us that that started out doing that, we learned pretty quickly what we wanted to do, but we also learned what our skill sets were and where we needed to brush up on our skill sets. As with anything that you do, you've really got to have that. But there's an interesting component when you teach because you have a full critique audience who either by conversation or by lack of conversation really point out your strengths and your weaknesses. (laughs) Students who say nothing are more impactful than students who do say something. And so you do learn from that. Talk to me a little bit about where you see your coaching business going and where you see as these trends we've talked about are moving forward, kind of what's next on the horizon for your business.
2: Yes. Interestingly enough, I was having lunch with um, a couple of colleagues the other day, and one of them asked me, are you looking to hire? Because I'd love to join your team and help with what you're doing. And I paused and I thought, yes, actually I am, because we are getting more calls. Um, What initially started off with me Doing this just like maybe one day a week, in addition to my private practice, is starting to spill over. And so I do see that the business is growing, particularly as word gets out, as folks start to know that, oh, wait, that is, as the kids would say, a thing. Yes, it is a thing. And we do it. And we are happy to do it. And so I think the other reason why I see the business growing exponentially is because we really, in my core of creating this business, it was to help people ascend in your field in your industry in academia and one of the things that i learned and i was so glad that you earlier mentioned that people don't think about academia higher ed as industry it is totally industry and because folks don't always conceptualize it that way they don't necessarily incorporate business strategies or strategy at all it's like i got a job in higher ed and i'm good Well. What about your promotion? If you were in the private sector, you would be looking toward promotion. You'd be looking toward merit. You'd be looking towards how do you ascend? This is a whole industry and there's a whole discipline around academic leadership that people don't even realize. And so I actually did a one-year program NSF funded on academic leadership in that we got to see the trends, we got to see the numbers, we got to see how many people enter academia at the level of assistant and then stay there, maybe never promote or if they do promote to associate, particularly with women, it takes them longer to promote than it does their male counterparts. And then when you start to get down into the granular levels of the demographics, it's even more disheartening about how long it takes or the path that it takes. Or then when you go back and read some of the qualitative interviews people are saying well I didn't even know or I tried two times and then I didn't get promoted so I just said forget it this whole idea of this being an industry and there being strategies or there being coaches and mentors or folks who can sort of help navigate this path is what really got me started with this so once I knew all of this secret magic information <laughs> that was not hidden, right? Yep. <laughs> didn't know where to get it from. I was like, Everybody needs to know this. You should be coming in the door thinking immediately about your promotion from assistant to associate. And then you should be immediately thinking about your promotion from associate to full. Then tenure, or do you wanna be a dean? Do you wanna be this? Or if you are holding an interim position, how long should you be holding that or should you be holding it at all? So as you can hear, like the pace of my voice has sort of kind of fed up because these are the things that excite me and I wanna help people do so that they don't die on the vine. Or feel the this feeling of isolation which I felt and you felt and we have talked about and when you get people off to the corner, they're sort of like, gosh, I'm really lonely here. I don't know what to do. I don't want you to feel that way anymore. You To call me, I want you to make an appointment. We are adding folks because we imagine our business is growing. I mean, we see it. And there may come a day in the very near future where I'm doing this full-time and not doing my neuropsych assessments as much anymore. And I won't say I'm going to completely move away from that because that works a different part of my brain. And I have to have those kinds of numbers going off in my head. Well, that's what I would say the future of the business is. I think it's growing. It's going to continue to grow. Technology is not going away. People are going to need to know more about how to navigate those, how to interface with people. What is hybrid education? What is distributed education? What does that all look like in higher ed and is it something I need to do? Yes, it is. I mean, it's no longer a question anymore, right? It's just you have to do it.
1: Well, and so to our listeners, obviously you can hear the passion and the excitement in what she's working on and what she's doing (laughs) in the coaching realm. From personal experience, she is spot on. I think oftentimes in, in the best situations, universities and colleges are large animals and they bring you in and they want to help and they assign you to someone in a department and it's a flip of the coin you will talk to people who have wonderful mentors who are guided through the process whatever the process may be and just have wonderful stories of their institution and how they grew into their role there you will talk to other people who have just said wow i got dropped off in a department and everyone stays in their office with their doors shut And I see no one and no one really welcomed me. No one really helped me. I had to purposely go out and find all the information all the time. And I suspect it's going to be even worse now because as we shutter and we stay at home and we allow faculty to teach from home, there's really no camaraderie. Even just that little bit of water cooler time and being in the break room has gone out the window. It's not being recreated on Zoom because people are creating meetings. But not that just insolent time where you get the chance to really get to know someone, to hear their war stories, to do that. So more so than ever, this coaching mechanism is going to be so important. And I think as we talked about treating higher ed as an industry, it's very valuable in other industries to have coaching to get certifications, to find that mentor who will work you through where you want to go and what you want to do in a company or in a corporation. Higher ed has not always had that level of stake in it because the assumption has been once you get in, you'll just kind of move up if and when a gate opens, if and when somebody leaves and you can move over. But the times are changing. And now it's becoming big business to be in higher ed, just like every other industry. The opportunity to use your services and to get help with navigating and really to assess because oftentimes we get into higher ed and we stay in it because it's what we've always done. I know there was always the old joke that if you look somewhere on a sidewalk at every institution, it says, because we've always done it this way. Um, And that's always been higher ed's kind of view on things. And now suddenly they're not being allowed to do that anymore. I think the skill set and the opportunities that you bring to people through your business is really exciting. Also, for those of you out there that are in the startup mode, look and listen at pairing off an original career. Having parallel paths, I tell people all the time, these things don't happen overnight. Very few people can just say, I'm going to quit everything today and I'm going to start something new tomorrow. You have to plan, you have to strategize, and you have to allow that growth to occur to where you get to this point where you say, wow, now I got to think about next steps. Now I got to think about where we go next because we are growing and we are servicing a community and we are enjoying it. From a startup mentality, this is a perfect example of an entrepreneurship that blossomed out of an idea and has, through your planning and your goal setting, has really come to life and really found a niche out there in the higher ed sector. So kudos to you, Lauren, for having that happen. Where can people get a hold of you to set up their consultation and get started?
2: so people can get a hold of me by visiting my website and there's a link on there where they can read all about me, read my blogs, and there's a tab that says work with me, so you just click on that and it will take you to my calendar and you can make an appointment. The website is beaclivity.com, so that's t h e dot com.
1: Okay, and we'll be sure and list that folks so that it is on our sites as well. Lauren can also be found on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Just uh, search her name at Dr. Lauren M. Hill as all one word, and we'll provide that information out as well. Lauren, it's been exciting and a joy to have you on today. I think you've brought us a real crossroads between the ed tech space, which is utilizing technology to reach out to people and provide them a great service, obviously education in the academic sector and understanding and navigating that whole process. And then also just the fact that it's time to approach things in a different way and to take advantage of the unfortunate situation of COVID still has opened some doors in a way to really move forward. I want to thank you for being on with us today. And I want to thank all of you for listening out there today and remind you all to be sure and reach out to set up your consultation. I really want to thank you for being online with us and taking a look at all of our other episodes. We're available on Amazon, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google, Apple, and Stitcher. Also, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter. And you can always reach out to us on our website at www.downingedtech.com. Until next
0: time, thank you for joining EdTech Speaks and keep learning. Thank you for listening to EdTech Speaks with EdTech strategist, Share Downing. To learn more about the services Downing EdTech and its staff can provide you, find us at www.downingedtech.com. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to share it. We'd also like to hear from you regarding any suggestions for topics or guests and the value you received from our show. Check back for new podcasts with featured guests at www.downingedtech.com backslash podcast.